The crisp summer evening in 1718 was like any other aboard the pirate ship adventure. The crew were settled below deck doing what they did best, guzzling down wine and rum. Among those drinking were the quartermaster Israel Hands and the captain himself, Edward Teach, better known as Blackbeard. Blackbeard never passed on an opportunity to drink with his men. It was his chance to show that they were one, brothers in arms on their quest for riches. But as the night wore on, Blackbeard's mood turned foul. Perhaps it was the rum, or maybe he was itching for action, but for some reason, he became irate. Unprovoked, Blackbeard pulled out two pistols and cocked them under the table. Everyone at the table saw it and became nervous. Then, a few moments later, Blackbeard leaned toward the candle on the table and blew it out. Before anyone could figure out what was going on, a shot rang out. One of the musket balls struck Israel Hands, shattering his kneecap. As Hands was helped to shore by the other men, he asked Blackbeard why he shot him. Blackbeard responded that if he did not now and then kill one of them, they would forget who he was. Israel Hands miraculously survived his wound, but walked with a limp for the rest of his life. More importantly, he and the rest of the crew never forgot one vital lesson from that night. Anyone who dared to challenge Blackbeard would end up dead. Welcome to Dictators, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Richard. And I'm Kate. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This season on Dictators, we're exploring some of history's most tyrannical pirate captains. Today, we continue our look into Edward Teach, the pirate commonly known as Blackbeard. Last week, we explored Teach's mysterious early life as a pirate, how he sailed under the tutelage of Benjamin Hornigold, earning a reputation as a fearsome sailor and creating his image as the devil incarnate. This week, we'll dive into his ploy to hold the city of Charleston, South Carolina, then known as Charlestown, hostage by cutting off the harbor, and how afterwards he double-crossed his crew to save his own hide. Finally, we'll explore Blackbeard's larger-than-life final battle, which turned him into one of history's most famous pirates. Coming up, we'll have all that and more. I'm Tanya Mosley. In 1987, my sister Anita vanished without a trace. Decades later, thanks to DNA, we found her. But that's only the beginning of the story. She Has a Name is a new audio documentary that explores the search for redemption, confronting trauma, and healing in the face of unimaginable loss. Subscribe now to Truth Be Told Presents She Has a Name where every revelation brings us closer to the truth. It feels like we're all being told to go on this diet, take that supplement. Ozempic will give you depression, but you know what'll cure that? Weed. Or you could try to balance your hormones. At Science Versus, we're like... What the f*** is going on? Forget the crap online and listen to Science Versus. Just the facts. Oh, and a bunch of stupid jokes. What is a ghost's favorite fruit? Booberries. That's Science VS. New season out on Spotify soon. 
By the beginning of 1718, Captain Edward Teach, the man known as Blackbeard, was one of the most feared pirates in the Caribbean. After learning how to become a pirate under the tutelage of Benjamin Hornigold, Blackbeard spent his time building a name for himself and amassing a fleet of ships. His image as the devil incarnate left his enemies and his own crew quaking in fear. Few dared to cross Blackbeard, often surrendering immediately instead of fighting. The Caribbean and the Atlantic were Blackbeards for the taking. And yet, by the middle of 1718, it seemed as if he was yearning for more. Taking ship after ship after ship had become too easy. He needed to up the ante. He needed to take a whole city. On May 22nd, Blackbeard and his four-ship armada sailed into Charlestown Harbor in South Carolina. They immediately formed an arc, blocking the entrance to the Atlantic. A pilot boat sailed out to investigate the situation, believing the ships were stuck on a sandbar. However, once he was aboard Blackbeard's flagship, the Queen Anne's Revenge, the pilot crew was taken prisoner. The pirates weren't stuck. They were blockading the harbor on purpose. Unfortunately, the people on shore were wholly unaware of what was going on, and soon another ship attempted to leave the harbor. They were also intercepted by Blackbeard. By the time this second ship was taken, darkness had fallen, and the people of Charlestown still didn't have any idea that their city was under siege. In fact, they didn't know that both the pilot ship and the second vessel had been captured. And so the next day, a third ship left the docks with a course set for London. They too got only as far as the Queen Anne's Revenge. By the end of the second day, Blackbeard had managed to capture a total of five merchant ships plus the original pilot ship. He had nearly 80 hostages locked up on the Queen Anne's Revenge. By the time night fell on the second day, the city was clear about what was going on. And when the name Blackbeard was uttered, a wave of panic spread throughout Charlestown. For the average citizen, fear of the unknown ran down their spines. Were these pirates going to sack the town? Were women and children going to be put to the knife? Would Charlestown be still on the map when they were done? For the city's merchants, it was the fear of lost profits that got them. The thought of being unable to move their goods made them tremble. They had no idea how long Blackbeard intended to stay. Luckily for them, Blackbeard had no intention of staying in Charlestown for too long. He knew that he only had about five more days until word spread to another colony and a rescue party came to fight them off. To make matters worse, the plunder wasn't exactly stacking up the way he had intended. Apart from various goods, Blackbeard and his crew had only stolen an estimated 1,500 pounds in gold and silver from those they had just captured. Today, that equals about $410,000. And while that might seem impressive, it was to be split among a crew of between three to 400. At best, each pirate might only receive $1,365. And even Blackbeard's extra cut as the captain wasn't much. But beyond the money, there was something more valuable that Blackbeard wanted, and in fact, desperately needed. As it turned out, Blackbeard's crew was in the midst of a major illness outbreak. It's unclear exactly what the crew was suffering from, but one of the most popular theories is syphilis. 
While the ships blockaded the harbor, Blackbeard sent a few of his men to the governor with an ultimatum. Give them the medicine they needed, or he'd start killing hostages and burning the ships he'd seized. Thankfully, it didn't come to that. After some days, Blackbeard's men returned with a chest full of medicine. Satisfied, Blackbeard held up his end of the bargain. He freed the hostages and released the captured ships. Of course, not before he completely stripped his captives naked and took all their goods. And then he simply sailed away. But the story stuck around, which was exactly what Blackbeard had intended. Word quickly spread throughout the American colonies of the Charlestown blockade. It had the effect Blackbeard was hoping for. Every merchant along the American coast was terrified. The persona Blackbeard was crafting was a living myth. The devil had left hell and was wreaking havoc in the Atlantic. And that fear was the key to his success. In fact, Blackbeard's reputation may have been more myth than truth. Historian Angus Constum notes that before his final battle, it is almost certain that Blackbeard never actually killed anyone. The pirate actually preferred to let captives go free so they could spread stories about him. Blackbeard seemed to realize that violence isn't always necessary, as long as everyone believes you're capable of violence. Every move he made was expertly calculated to leverage his reputation, including what happened right after the Charlestown blockade. After leaving Charlestown, Blackbeard and his armada sailed north. They made their way to Topsail Inlet, a narrow channel in North Carolina adjacent to present-day Beaufort. Its shallow waters made it a perfect place to hide. But when they arrived at the beginning of June 1718, disaster struck. The Queen Anne's Revenge ran aground into a sandbar. The damage to the Queen Anne's Revenge was irreparable. The planks along the ship were shattered and the mainmast was destroyed. There was no saving Blackbeard's flagship. But Blackbeard sprung into action. He instructed Israel Hands, who commanded the adventure, to throw them a line and tow Queen Anne off of the sandbar. But the adventure only pulled her deeper into the sandbar. Even worse, the adventure also became stuck and destroyed its own planks. In a matter of minutes, Blackbeard's armada was down two ships. The crew was dumbfounded as to how two experienced captains could fall victim to such an easy blunder. What they didn't realize was that Blackbeard destroyed his two ships on purpose. Blackbeard knew that the Charlestown incident would generate heat from the Royal Navy. His four-ship armada painted a huge target on his back, so he decided he was going to downsize. Step one of his plan was to destroy two of his own ships, including the notorious Queen Anne's Revenge. Step two was to test the waters for a royal pardon. In September 1717, King George I of Great Britain offered pardons to any pirates who surrendered to a Secretary of State in Great Britain or to a local governor overseas in the colonies. However, there was a stipulation the pardon only pertained to crimes committed before January 1718. Thus, blockading Charlestown Harbor wouldn't qualify. Blackbeard had heard through the grapevine that some governors were willing to waive the timeline condition. 
but with his violent reputation, he wasn't sure how lenient any authorities would be on him and his crew. So, rather than turn himself in immediately, Blackbeard decided to send a guinea pig first. The gentleman pirate himself, Captain Steed Bonnet. After all this time, Bonnet was still sailing with Blackbeard. However, he was more of a pampered hostage than a leader among the crew. But to the British authorities, Bonnet's name carried weight. So Blackbeard approached Bonnet with a proposition. Surrender to Governor Charles Eden of North Carolina, and Blackbeard would give Bonnet back his old ship, the Revenge, as soon as he returned. Bonnet didn't hesitate to accept. This was his chance to escape the heat Blackbeard was generating, reclaim his ship, and even return to legal work. So, with most of his original crew, Bonnet set off to Bathtown, North Carolina, known today as Bath, about a three days journey from Topsail Inlet. They had an audience with Governor Eden, who was more than willing to issue the gentleman pirate and his crew their pardons. Eager to reclaim his ship, Bonnet left Bathtown at once and returned to Topsail Inlet. But when he returned, his hope was quickly dashed. Blackbeard and about 40 crewmen were gone. The revenge had been stripped bare, and the rest of the crew, between 200 and 250 men, had been marooned on various islands nearby. Blackbeard had double-crossed his men and then disappeared. Coming up, Blackbeard's enemies plot his demise while Blackbeard himself hosts the largest pirate party in history. You discover their practices, seek their advice, and let yourself become more vulnerable than ever before. They have the ability to heal what the doctors can't, or so they say. Hi listeners, it's Vanessa from the podcast series Cults. Be sure to check out our four-part special on Miracle Healers, airing right now. Meet figures from around the world who claimed powers and pushed remedies, but harbored more sinister intentions. You don't want to miss it. And if you're looking for more episodes on the most radical and deadly groups in history, tune in to Cults every Tuesday. From Jim Jones and the People's Temple, to Charles Manson and the Manson family, to Keith Raniere and Nexium, you'll uncover the unscrupulous methods used to turn bright-eyed recruits into die-hard believers. Follow the Spotify original from Parcast, Cults, free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Now back to the story. In June 1718, Blackbeard convinced Steed Bonnet to travel to Bathtown, North Carolina and apply for a royal pardon. Bonnet did as he was told, but when he returned about two weeks later, he was shocked to discover that Blackbeard and some of his men were gone, and the rest of the crew had been marooned. The marooned sailors told Bonnet a tale of deceit and trickery. Once Bonnet had left, the rest of the crew set up camp on shore and spent most of their time getting drunk. Taking advantage of their inebriation, Blackbeard and about 40 of his loyal crewmates transferred all of the Armada's plunder into one small sloop. They stripped Bonnet's old ship the Revenge of all its guns and supplies. Then, once the work was complete, they climbed aboard the sloop and set sail. However, even among the men who joined Blackbeard, 
Not everyone was happy about the betrayal. Several of the crew voiced their disapproval, demanding that Blackbeard return to the men he was abandoning. Instead, Blackbeard stopped at a desolate island and forced the 17 complainers to get out. They were trapped there for two days until Bonnet came along and rescued them. Bonnet was in a pickle. He had just been granted a royal pardon and planned on settling down from piracy. But his men were angry. They wanted revenge. And the more Bonnet thought about it, the stronger his own hatred for Blackbeard became. He decided to repair the revenge as best he could. Then, with 80 men from his old crew, he set out to find Blackbeard. Early on, they received word that Blackbeard and about 20 men were holed up on Ocracoke Island, about 90 miles from Topsail. But by the time Bonnet made it to Ocracoke, Blackbeard and his men were gone. Knowing that Blackbeard loved to capture vessels in Delaware Bay, Bonnet continued to sail north. But it was a fruitless search. He would never find Blackbeard, because Blackbeard was no longer on the water. At some point during the final weeks of June, Blackbeard and his skeleton crew made their way to Bathtown and surrendered themselves to Governor Charles Eden, asking for a royal pardon. For the rest of the summer, Blackbeard and his men did all they could to keep their noses clean. Blackbeard purposely chose North Carolina because of its middling size. As historian Angus Constam notes, there was enough trade to where Blackbeard could sell his stolen loot, but it was small enough to where traders didn't have power to form an anti-piracy lobby. Blackbeard hoped he would be able to blend in and give off the projection that he was retired while biding his time for future endeavors. He kept himself out of the public eye, but everyone knew that the notorious pirate was somewhere in North Carolina. One local legend claims that Blackbeard acquired a home just outside of Bathtown on a stretch of land called Plum Point. This new home was allegedly not too far from Governor Eden's house, making it a prime location to hobnob with the local gentry. Another legend claims that Blackbeard settled down and married a 16-year-old girl. Blackbeard was close to the age of 40 at the time. This claim comes from Captain Charles Johnson, who also notes that she was wife number 14 for Blackbeard. And in a truly insidious move, Blackbeard allegedly forced her to prostitute herself among his men. However, most of the stories about Blackbeard during this time have zero basis in fact. There is no record that Blackbeard, under any of his alleged names, was ever married once, much less 14 times. Meanwhile, the story about Blackbeard prostituting his North Carolina wife to his men appears to be a complete invention. Author Eric J. Dolan notes that it was likely done to play up the depraved image of pirates and to help sell more copies of Captain Johnson's book. What we do know for certain about Blackbeard's sabbatical is that he split his time between Bathtown and Ocracoke Island. And more than likely, he actually lived on his Spanish sloop, which he christened the Adventure, a nod to the previous ship he purposely destroyed in Topsail Inlet. Surprisingly, Blackbeard was able to keep the adventure when he turned himself into Governor Eden. Technically, Blackbeard's command of the sloop was an act of piracy because it was taken during a time of peace. However, Governor Charles Eden managed to pull the strings to make Blackbeard the legal owner of the adventure. 
How Blackbeard was able to pull this off is still a mystery, but it wouldn't be the last time Governor Eden skirted the law to help Blackbeard. Near the end of the summer, Blackbeard had grown bored as a law-abiding citizen. He felt it was time to set sail once more. In the middle of August, he and the adventure left North Carolina and sailed toward the Caribbean. On August 24, 1718, Blackbeard successfully captured two French ships near Bermuda. One of those ships, the Rose Emily, had a massive haul of cocoa and sugar. Blackbeard knew he could sell those valuable goods on the market, so he kept the ship and sailed it back to Ocracoke Island. However, there was one problem. France and Britain weren't at war, so capturing a French ship counted as piracy. But thankfully, Blackbeard had a friend in Charles Eden to get around that little legal problem. When they made it to shore, Blackbeard told Eden that they had stumbled upon the Rose Emily by accident and discovered it was abandoned. Thus, under nautical law, Blackbeard now had salvage rights to the ship and cargo. With no other witnesses contradicting Blackbeard and his men, the Rose Emily was legally signed over to Blackbeard. He had hit a jackpot. Aside from the 60 barrels he gave to Governor Eden, he now owned hundreds of barrels of cocoa and sugar to sell for profit. And what better way to celebrate than with a massive party, a party full of his pirate friends. At the end of September, Blackbeard was back on Ocracoke Island when he and his men spotted a heavily gunned ship headed in their direction. To Blackbeard's amazement, it was fellow pirate captain Charles Vane. For the next week, Ocracoke Island turned into one of the largest gatherings of pirates since the pre-pardon days of Nassau. For seven days, famous pirates like Calico, Jack Rackham, and Israel Hands drank themselves into a stupor. Of course, not everyone was too pleased about the pirate celebration. Word spread throughout the colonies that Blackbeard and Charles Vane were boozing it up in North Carolina, and to some authorities, this was a direct slap in the face. One man in particular was determined to see Blackbeard at the bottom of the ocean, the Lieutenant Governor of Virginia, Alexander Spotswood. Spotswood never believed that Blackbeard and his men went straight. He knew that he and all the pirates who took a royal pardon were scoundrels to their core, and there was no changing them. Throughout the summer of 1718, his suspicions were slowly confirmed. At one point, several of Blackbeard's men stumbled into Virginia as they were traveling to Pennsylvania. Reports soon circulated that these supposed ex-pirates were luring legitimate sailors into their ranks and possibly into piracy. But the straw that broke the camel's back was Blackbeard's capture of the Rose Emily, along with the rumors of the pirate gathering taking place on Ocracoke Island, only about 150 miles from Virginia. The fact that Blackbeard got away with taking the Rose Emily and was partying with Charles Vane right under their noses was an insult to the colonies. Spotswood knew he needed to step into action. Unfortunately, since Blackbeard was harboring in North Carolina, not Virginia, the only way Spotswood could send in the Royal Navy was if Governor Eden sent out a formal distress, which he never did. But Spotswood wanted Blackbeard dead, even if it meant stepping out of his jurisdiction and illegally invading another colony. 
In the middle of November 1718, Alexander Spotswood secretly called a war council and unofficially sanctioned an invasion of North Carolina. Spotswood and his councils settled on two plans, one by land, one by sea. Nothing was off the table. Blackbeard was going to pay for his crimes. The man leading the sea attack, Lieutenant Robert Maynard, was as crafty as Blackbeard himself. He knew that the only way to get to the infamous pirate was to catch him off guard. And the only way to do that was with a surprise attack. Coming up, Blackbeard's final battle. Now back to the story. In the fall of 1718, Captain Edward Teach, the man known throughout the Caribbean and American colonies as Blackbeard, was living the good life. After obtaining a royal pardon from the North Carolina governor, Blackbeard and his crew partied their nights away on Ocracoke Island. Unfortunately for him, Lieutenant Governor Alexander Spotswood of Virginia wasn't too pleased with Blackbeard being a free man. And after reports that Blackbeard had gotten away with capturing a French ship, and that he as well as Charles Vane, another notorious pirate, had held a massive pirate party, Spotswood put together a secret mission to invade North Carolina and kill Blackbeard. Believing that Blackbeard was in Bathtown, Spotswood and his secret war council devised a two-pronged battle plan. One set of forces, led by Captains Ellis Brand and George Gordon, would dock off the coast and attack the town by land. Meanwhile, a second force, led by Lieutenant Robert Maynard, would sail to Ocracoke Island first, capture any of Blackbeard's men, and then establish a blockade around Bathtown. Attacking from both land and sea seemed like the surest way to end Blackbeard's reign of terror. On November 17, 1718, Maynard and two sloops, the Jane and the Ranger, departed Virginia and sailed down the James River. Under Maynard's command were a total of 57 men. Four days later, during the late afternoon of November 21st, Maynard and his crew landed just off the southern coast of Ocracoke Island. And to his surprise, he spotted Blackbeard's sloop, the Adventure. Though he wasn't positive Blackbeard was on the sloop, he was at least confident that a good portion of the crew was. If he could capture them, it would make the Bathtown assault all the easier for Brandon Gordon. So Maynard ordered the Jane and Ranger to drop anchor. When morning came, they would attack. Meanwhile, Blackbeard was in fact aboard the adventure, along with about 25 of his men and some local sailors. Blackbeard and his men drank the night away, completely unaware of the danger that was waiting for them in the water. But the next morning at around 7.30 a.m., the pirates on the adventure saw two sloops heading in their direction and immediately sounded the alarm. Blackbeard, hung over from the previous night's festivities, armed himself from head to toe. He had no idea whose sloops these were, but he wasn't going to take a chance. He ordered his men to send the intruders a warning shot. After the warning shot, Blackbeard cut the adventure's anchor in order to get moving as quickly as possible. Meanwhile, the Jane pulled up within a pistol shot from the adventure with the ranger close behind. Maynard ordered his men to hoist the Union Jack and show Blackbeard they were dealing with more than just a merchant ship. 
What happened next became the stuff of legends. Upon seeing the British flag, Blackbeard shouted, Who are you, and from whence do you come? Maynard responded, You may see from our colors we are no pirates. Maynard threatened to run his sloop into the adventure. In response, Blackbeard threw back a shot of alcohol and proclaimed, Damnation seize my soul if I give you quarters, or take any from you. Maynard replied he expected no quarter from Blackbeard, and that he wasn't going to give Blackbeard any quarter either. By the time the conversation ended, the adventure's broadside cannons had been loaded. Blackbeard gave the order to fire. When the smoke cleared, the Rangers' two top commanders were among the dead. With no leadership around, the Ranger was effectively out of commission. Though a number of men on the Jane wound up injured or dead, the ship itself received only minimal damage. Maynard quickly ordered them to fire their own cannons. A shot struck the adventure and caused its sail to collapse. When the smoke and splinter cleared, Blackbeard looked to the deck of the Jane and saw that it was empty. Convinced that the battle was over, Blackbeard steered the adventure up to the Jane and climbed aboard. Blackbeard and his men were confused to only see three or four men on the deck. But before they could register what was happening, Maynard gave an order for the rest of his men to rush up the main deck, weapons in hand. Maynard had used the smoke cover to hide most of his men below deck and set a trap. For the next six minutes, the deck of the Jane was an all-out battle as cutlasses clashed and flintlock shots blasted a curtain of smoke. It was a true battle to the death. And at one point in the chaos, Blackbeard and Maynard entered into a full-blown fight using both swords and guns. Almost immediately, Blackbeard was hit by Maynard's pistol. But that didn't slow the pirate down. At one point, Maynard thrust his sword into Blackbeard, but it hit Blackbeard's ammunition cartridge box. The blade got stuck and bent at the hilt. Maynard stepped back, retrieved his pistol, and fired, hitting Blackbeard for the second time. But like the devil he was, Blackbeard refused to go down. While Maynard struggled to find another sword, Blackbeard seized his opportunity. He raised his cutlass to deal Maynard a final blow. But with his arms raised, Blackbeard suddenly felt a searing pain strike his neck. According to one contemporary account, Blackbeard turned to the man who stabbed him, a Highlander, and said, Well done, lad. The Scotsman responded, If not well done, I'll do it better. And with one swing of his blade, the Highlander severed Blackbeard's head from his body. In all likelihood, this final exchange didn't occur. But it's a fitting end to a man who built up a larger-than-life image of himself to terrorize the Western Hemisphere. Regardless, when the smoke cleared, Captain Edward Teach was dead. In addition to being decapitated, he allegedly had five bullet holes and nearly 20 stab wounds. Upon seeing their fallen leader, the rest of Blackbeard's crew struggled to continue to put up a fight. Some of the men even jumped overboard in an attempt to escape. Maynard's men immediately shot at the men in the water, killing them. The death toll has long been disputed, but at least a dozen pirates were killed in the battle, including Blackbeard. And the rest on deck, all wounded, were taken prisoner. Just before setting sail, 
Maynard hung Blackbeard's head from the Jane's bow spirit as a trophy. They dumped the rest of his body in the sea. Blackbeard's reign of terror lasted only about two years, but it was his reign that left the biggest impact on public imagination. Much of this comes from the mystique he created, looking and acting as if he had just been spit out of hell. Such an image not only terrified Blackbeard's victims, but also his own men. Pirate crews were supposed to be a democracy. When a captain failed at his job, he was deposed either by vote or dissertation. But like any good tyrant, Blackbeard figured out a way to prevent that. He knew how superstitious sailors could be and fed into that fear to keep himself in power till the end. Though the golden age of piracy would last for at least another five years, the death of Blackbeard all but signaled the end. Over the next few years, colonies throughout the Western Hemisphere increased their anti-pirate policies. The remaining pirates were either captured, hanged, pardoned, or lost to history. But pirates didn't disappear forever. About a hundred years after Blackbeard's death, a French pirate would rise and terrorize the Gulf of Mexico before forming his own pirate republic. To this day, his name strikes fear along the Gulf Coast. Jean Lafitte, the infamous Pirate King. Thanks for listening to Dictators. You can find all episodes of Dictators and all other Spotify originals from Parcast free on Spotify. Next week, we'll begin our dive into Jean Lafitte. Among the many sources we used, we found Blackbeard, America's Most Notorious Pirate by Angus Constam, and Black Flag's Blue Waters by Eric J. Dolan, extremely helpful to our research. Dictators is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound design by Billy Pace, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Freddie Beckley. This episode of Dictators was written by Joe Guerra, with writing assistance by Andrew Messer and Kate Gallagher, fact-checking by Adriana Romero, and research by Chelsea Wood. Dictators stars Kate Leonard and Richard Rossner. We'll see you next time. <laughs>